0: Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. I'm going to start a new series. And, uh, you know, I, I see church as it's for encouragement, right? I'm not really interested in you coming in. I love to teach, but I'm not really interested in you coming in here and sitting and staring at me for 45 minutes and me thinking that I'm actually teaching you something. You might learn some things that you didn't know before, especially in the area of understanding the new covenant and your identity and, you know, just little things. But you're not, don't get in the mind frame of, all right, I don't know enough, so I'm going to go to church so that I can learn more to become more of a Christian. That is not what we're here for. We are here to love and encourage one another. You know, it's like it's like going for a meal, right? You go and you nourish your body, and you go in, or, t- or it's like taking a bath or taking a vacation or going to the gym. Not that you're coming here to work for God or that you need to take a bath and get more holy. It's just like, because there, there's kind of a, and I think it's a strategy of the enemy to use the Abuses that we've seen in church to create a mindset that says, Well, we don't need church. We don't need this. We don't, I don't, it's weird that we go and everybody faces one direction and one person stands up. You've heard all those criticisms and it seems to be coming up more and more and more lately. And it's like, Well, yeah, if they're trying to get you to serve their agenda or line their coffers or even darker things than that that can happen. But it's like, no, that's not what God's interested in. You know, it's like we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, you guys are sitting here on a Sunday looking at me, so I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to berate you for having a bad attitude toward church, but your friends and your family members and the people that are out there in the world, they, how many of you've heard people say things like that in the last couple of years? Yeah, a few of you. And it's like, it's like, man, no, one of the things that we need to do is change how people see God and change the way God functions in us and through us and among, our, among his people and within his body and in this earth collectively together. You know, here, I feel like that what forward is, and, and I think it's really the same call for all, uh, let's call them... Uh, different houses, you know, maybe different churches, whatever you want to call them. Obviously, you are the church. This is just a building. Whether we're at the Brandenburg's property or sitting in our living room or going outside, we're the church, right? This is just a building. So, but here's how I see the call of what's on forward, and that is it's based on two things. You know, as far as what we want to do with our message Let's change the way people see God. And I hope that happens as you come here. You change the way that you view God. Specifically, your view comes into agreement with who Jesus revealed the Father to be. That's what it's all rooted in, that your, that your perspectives of how God works and, and how he relates to mankind and what he's doing in your life is filtered through what Jesus showed us about God. Amen? Amen. But then I see us as a body, and it's like he said that our love for one another would be a sign to the world that we follow him. So I see the world out there looking at places like this and the body in general. And and really, this this is kind of a microcosm for what can happen in the entire body together. And that is that we have such love for one another, such encouragement, such strengthening and building up for one another that it's like it creates this light. You know, it's like, it's like some of the protests that are going on, and you see these, they don't really report on them very much, but you see where, you know, white and black come together and pray together, and it just transcends the agenda, right? And it's because God is being glorified in that. It's not being sucked down to carnal agenda to, to uh, cheapen what's happening, you know. So I see this as a body that is growing in encouragement toward one another. You know, that's why we wanna, we're we're trying to just do some things where you guys get to know each other a little bit more. We might even have name tag Sunday. I loathe name tags. But I might be willing to wear one just so that God can continue to knit our hearts together, you know? I don't like it that some people have been coming here for two years and don't know the guy that sits across the room. I mean, that's partly our own fault. We all feel disconnected. We all feel like, well, they've got their church, and I'm over here, and, you know, I'm kind of me, and I'm just, I'm doing my thing, and, and they're them, and they're all together, but I'm kind of on the outside. I promise you, everybody feels that way. You're not the exception. You're sitting in the same kind of chairs that that person next to you is. There's not like a secret club that they all got this thing going on, but, you know, I'm kind of out here. No, we're, everybody feels that way. I promise you. So just go ahead and get over that and decide that you're going to get to know some people because I think what God is calling us is as we love one another and as we encourage one another and as we build each other up and as we point to Jesus together, the world looks at that and says, oh, there's something different. I know. That's just what those Christians do. You know, they, they just... It's just kind of weak. It's just kind of silly. They just love on each other. You know, they just kind of give each other special favors. Or they, you know, it's just, that's kind of how the world thinks about it. But they're noticing it, right? But I see it as a flashlight. This is, what I, this is the picture that I see of what God wants to do in this body and then toward the world, and that is as we so are strengthened in our encouragement toward one another and our love for one another that people start to look and say, I don't know what's what they're doing over there, but they really treat each other well. Their love for one another is a sign to me. And then, and then it's like this light. And then as that light that we are, this body, turns toward the world, it's like a flashlight. Like if I'm standing up here and it's dark and I'm holding a flashlight on the ground, you see that light from back there. But then if I turn that flashlight towards your face, boom, it makes a difference, right? That's what I see what God wants to do with this body. It's becoming a light that he wants to turn it toward the world, and it'll be obvious, oh. So that means we start moving toward the world in love. We start moving toward the world united together and show them, you know what? God's not mad at you. God is not holding your sin against you. God has already forgiven you in Jesus. Oh, so that means everybody's going to heaven? No, There's a difference between righteousness and forgiveness. I've been chatting with Kevin about that this week. It's funny where people go with things because they want you to... They're so afraid where you're going to take something like that, right? People are ignorant about the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ, meaning that all sin was put on him, but you still have to choose him. You still have to be indwelt by his spirit. But so we can go into the world and assume that God has already forgiven those people and take love to them so they will choose to be reconciled to him in their hearts. Amen? Amen. That's, that's what we are called to do. Go into the world and tell people, look, God is not holding your sin against you any longer. Jesus became the curse for you. Jesus was judged for you. Don't you want to have that kind of relationship? So receive him as your sacrifice. Now, people, some people, that just, they, you know, they... There's just so many arguments in the world, even against the existence of God, but that's our job. Show people, you're forgiven. There's an open door. Walk through Him into the love of God for you. Amen. And one of the things that, that has to happen as we move through this journey of changing the way to see God is just dealing with some strange doctrines. Uh, you know, Andrew, when, when, so talking about the sovereignty of God and God's in control or are we Calvinists or are we Armenians or are we? what are we? And it's like, you know, I think we get a little too splintered on, on all those different kinds of doctrines. And it's funny that if you were to level the playing field and you get people in the same room that say they believe different things and you talk long enough and you use the word as your basis of truth, usually people will come together. Now, not always, because there are some so dogmatic that we can't, and we might even be dogmatic in some areas, and we might even be wrong in some areas. So, you know, I'm a little hesitant to go into some of these kinds of areas because what I would rather do is wash your mind with your identity in Christ. I would rather reinforce the new covenant within you rather build you up in what Christ has done for you, and if you get bored with that, then just bring somebody else and let them hear it, and you sit there and say, I've heard this word; they hadn't. Who cares if you've heard it over and 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 over? You need to hear it, because you forget. When you're out there facing the world, you forget who you are. So, but there is a tweaking If we are to change the way people see God, is is help them see different perspectives. So, some of these things I'm gonna go into over the next couple of weeks are not as set in stone as the benefits of the finished work of the cross. In other words, things like you are righteous by faith alone, you have been given the holiness of Jesus, you have been cleansed by his blood, left holy indwelt by the Spirit of God, because where God dwells has to be holy, and if God is in you, that means you are holy, and that is a product of His blood cleansing you, and you have been given the position before the Father that Jesus has. I don't mean you're God. I don't mean you're the Messiah. You're not going to, like, become Jesus or some a God or anything like that, but the right, the right standing that Jesus has before the Father, the kind of acceptance that Jesus has... You have, because you are a joint heir. Jesus qualified for that and then turned to you and said, I'm giving it to them. You know, those are non-negotiables. Those were where I take hard-line stances. But on things like this, I, it's kind of like I want to throw out some suggestions. And we're talking about ideas like God's in control. Because I'm telling you, people are desensitized to the Spirit of God because we believe circumstantial theology. Many people develop their theology based on circumstances rather than the Word of God. What we do is we water the Word of God down to the level of our circumstances. It's like, well, this happened, and I prayed, and then it happened this way, so therefore this means this about God. It's like... Really, because the Word of God says this. So those are the kinds of areas that I want to go. So I've got a series of questions, and I and I actually dis, you know kind of threw these questions out, and and this is this is I want this to be interactive, but I want to help you locate what you believe in your own heart. And there are people watching. It's it's interesting that this little broadcast is going further and further and further. You know. We had Christy Metropolis in here last week and did you did you guys enjoy her? Yes. Yeah, it was awesome. We definitely will have her back. Um, but, you know, this is her church where she lives. There's not a church that she builds community and feels connected with and feels like that she can sit and listen to the message. So this is her church. This is uh, Teresa's church in Kenya. This is a a ladies' church in North Carolina. I mean, I could go on. I know we probably know of about 20 people specifically that this is their church, and then there are a bunch of people out there that... What what was I talking about? I forgot where I was going for that. Huh? Questions to ask God. Questions to ask God. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) uh, (coughs) You do that too, right? You know, I know preachers aren't supposed to do that, but... I'll tell on myself while I'm preaching. I am worried about it. So there's a series of questions I just kind of want us to think about and consider and ponder. And I would like for you to respond so that this is interactive and we kind of... But I want, you know, I want this to be an exercise in you kind of locating what you, th- what you believe in your own heart. So let me ask you this. If sin had not been brought into the world, what would this planet be like? Garden of Eden, which means heaven on earth, perfect, paradise, no bad things, okay? Why would it have been that way if sin had not entered in? That's how he designed it, because he would be here walking. Everybody be focused on him, worshiping him. Say that again. Everybody loving each other. other. Okay. So, God designed it to be perfect. What changed that? Sin. Okay. What is heaven like? Let me just say this. Heaven and post-resurrection earth-like. Perfect. Paradise. Beautiful. No tears. No fears. No worry. No nothing. No loss. Why? Because it's made that way. Be in peace. Because that's how God made it. That's how He wants it. That's the will of God, right? What, what was that? Because God is love. All right. What would the earth be like now if God completely took over and made the earth how he wanted it now? Functional. We'd be dead. (laughs) Let's say that he makes you exactly like he wants you in the process. Let me put that caveat in there. Are, are, are you are you starting to kind of catch my flow here? Can God do anything He wants? In other words, is He powerful enough to do whatever He wants whenever He wants? Yes. Yes. Anybody think no? Okay. Good. <laughs> Amen, the end, let's go home. I mean, really. That's really where we're going with it. But there's, but, but I want, you know, it's, it's so... Because we're going to deal with things like sickness and grief and loss and people losing elections and people losing jobs and people having divorces and losing loved ones and all of the stuff that we deal with that gets chalked up to God's timing, God's will the mystery of God's purposes. And it's like, if you, and, I, and I don't want to build our theology just on logic, right? But there is something to be said for thinking these kinds of things through. Ultimately, what does it look like when the unhindered, perfect will of God is in place? it's perfection. It's heaven. It's no death. It's no loss. It's no sin. You know, that's kind of the standard we have to set when stuff happens in our lives and the question comes in, God, what are you doing? God, where are you? God, why did this happen? And I do this regularly. If I'm dealing with something, you know, there's you know, it's a heavy load sometimes, I mean, with a few, a couple hundred people that you're in contact with, and people go through some hard stuff, some dark stuff. People, I mean, this stuff that you see with your own eyeballs that you're like, I don't know, I don't have an answer for that. And I, and I, I noticed this about myself that in my heart and in my mind when I pray for them or when I am, am, am trying to encourage them, you know, It's like I go back to what would would this situation have looked like in the garden? Would it even exist for one thing? And if it did, what would it look like? And we don't, you know, you can't assume to know all of those because we weren't there. and We don't know what it was like. But some things you can just assume and look at. Well, you know, God wasn't making people sick in the garden. God wasn't taking people's kids away because he needed another angel in heaven in the garden. People don't even become angels. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> God is not up there codependent, needing you to complete him, <laughs> needing your child to make him feel better about himself in heaven, <clears throat> or needing some special task fulfilled in heaven. you as far as I know, there are no tasks in heaven. You know, and I don't want to say this with a sarcastic tone. I, 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 want, I want to accuse and, and break down the thought. Not really necessarily people that believe that, but I, I just, you know, we have to be able to trust God. We owe it to the world to give them peace, not confusion, not add to the confusion in the darkness of the world. So... Jesus said this in a couple of different passages. This is not a direct quote, but it's just kind of built together. You know, he says, I only do what I see the Father doing, and I only say what the Father has taught me to say. Not my will, but your will be done. You know, that's Jesus laying down his own will to follow the will of the Father. So if you only did... What the Father told you to do, and you only said what the Father told you to say, and you only went where the Father led you to go. I mean, down to what you ate and how you handled your emotions. In other words, God were in total control of your life. What would your life look like? If God were in total control of your life and you walked that way and you only did what He said do, you only said what He said say, you know, you only ate, you only felt, he, in other words, He had total control over you and your life. What would your life look like? Huh? Well, just remove that out of the way. I am mean, just you know, suspend that for a minute. Give me just kind of work with me here on this one, huh? I'd be a lot healthier. That's one thing. Be a lot healthier. Problem free. In all your ways. Our life will be perfect in all its ways, because yeah. his life is perfect in all his ways. We can do it. I think you'd be attacked. You'd be attacked? By other people who not that way. Yeah. Because it's not a perfect world. Right. Even if you were perfect. Yeah. Look like what they did to Jesus. So so then yes. let's take it one step further. Let's say that everybody on the planet only did what God wanted them to do and said what he wanted them to say, you know, I mean, in other words, if you'd like a lot more people, (laughs) (laughs) do you think there would be that God would lead people into situations where they would die prematurely? Do you think that God would lead them into something where they would develop cancer? Now, I, I understand where you're going in your mind, because you're going in your mind where the original founding apostles went, where it's like, Okay, God did lead them to places to preach the gospel where some of them lost their heads and were crucified. I get that. Suspend that for just a minute, right? And just think, if God had total control over the planet and our lives and everybody else's lives, what would it look like? Okay, so why did we go, when we make it personal, why do we shift? It's like, okay, well, if God just does what he wants, then it's going to be perfect. But then we enter ourselves, you know, did you notice that? Yeah. This is a bit of an exercise And okay, well, what is it that I really think? We start going to circumstances and what's happened in this world and start muddying what we think the will of God might be. We're trying to bring God down to the earth. Yeah. It's interesting what we do. So, you know, you can put all your thoughts back into your mind again and, and remember the Bible, because yes, absolutely, God may call you toward something, and it'd be very difficult, a, a very difficult path. You know, suffering and persecution come for the Word's sake, for you standing up and preaching Jesus. But it's like, pretty much, and I think every believer would come down to the degree where if you, if you just suspend mankind's influence and you give God full control over this planet, it will look like he wants it to look, and his will for this planet is perfection. We see it in the garden, and we see it after the resurrection. Everything else in between is what he, has, what he did in the original creation of giving us dominion. So let's look at Genesis 1.26. You know, so... Did that get, send off any light bulbs? Did it refine some things for you? Maybe that'll change how you pray. Maybe just, you know, it's like, okay, the world is the world. It's broken. God's will is this. How can I stay true to that as I journey through this planet? So Genesis 1, then God said, let us, well, that's a, that's a whole nother sermon right there, right? Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish, over the sea, over the birds, and over the cattle, over all the earth. Now, dominion means rule, authority, and reign. So God gave authority to mankind over all the earth, over everything, and over every creeping thing that that creeps on the earth. And there are some creeps out there creeping on the earth. You got authority over them. You know what I mean, as far as them affecting your life. You know, Adam's wife, Stacy, she she talks to birds and, you know, tells them what to do. We think that kind of stuff's weird, but it's like she, they listen. It's like her life's a musical, right? She just walks around singing and the bird. Yeah. What's that movie where the... Yeah, but there's a movie that, that that she's in the real world, and yeah, it's that's such a funny movie. She's like, she's just walking, and she doesn't know any better, right? She, that's her world, that's her. It. There's a movie called Enchanted, and a storybook character comes out of a story into the real world, and she functions in this world as she would function in the storybook. In other words, she walks around, and she sings, and birds come flying in, and the guy that's with her is like walking, he's like, what, what is going on? You know, they're out in a park and all these birds come flying in and squirrels running up and it's just normal for her. But everybody else is looking at her like, what is going on? I think that's what life can be like for us. It's a totally different experience for the believer than for the unbeliever because God is in us. God is affecting and influencing the world around us and our lives from the inside with his wisdom. It can be unfair for us given the state of the world. And a lot of times we carry guilt for that because our lives are in such a good place because we have let God bear his fruit in our world and in our lives that we, it's like, whoa, I, 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 sh- I shouldn't be, I shouldn't enjoy this so well. Look at what's happening over there. Well, obviously we turn that fruit toward the world and hopefully affect the world around us. But... Let's keep going here. I want to talk about the Hebrews for just a little bit. And in Psalm 78, verse 41, we see uh, just something interesting here. Now, again, remember, God can do anything. He has the power to do anything he wants, whenever he wants. He is absolutely all-powerful, and mankind cannot uh, usurp his power or win over his power. I mean, you know, if we were to arm wrestle with God, he wins every time. You know what I mean? But it's interesting how he has put himself in relationship with mankind on this planet. And we see it in the Hebrews that after they've been delivered from Egypt and they're wandering in the desert for 40 years, it says this. So Psalm 78, 41. Yes, again, they tempted God. Now, this is just a little thing, but a lot, sometimes when you hear this story recounted about uh, the, the Israelites wandering in the desert for 40 years because it says that the, it was the day of temptation or when there was you know, the time of temptation, it, sometimes it's even taught that God was tempting them. And it's like, no, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Is God all powerful? then how could they limit him? Ultimately, that's right, unbelief. But it's because God chose to give mankind that kind of authority and relationship. Now, if God wanted to break his rule of giving mankind dominion over this planet and over all the earth, he could just say, oh, I'm suspending that rule, I'm doing this on this planet. And you see that with, like, the flood and and just wiping out entire nations. I mean, you know, God ultimately is going to have his will. Now, and I'm, I'm gonna deal with the curse in the next couple of weeks, but ultimately, because I know that this is where our thoughts go, well, what about into the old when he did this and wiped out entire nations and this and that? And it's like, all of that stuff was a result of the curse. In other words, there was punishment for behavior. Now, we are delivered from the curse of the law Jesus became a curse for us, so under this new covenant, it's not that God changed, it's that we changed. It's that the way God relates to mankind changed because the curse was absorbed into Jesus and fully exhausted and paid for in full. Amen? So God is no longer in the position of needing to wipe out nations and do this and that and punish because the curse has been dealt with in Jesus. That is a big, big, big deal. Well, I'll go into detail in that in the next couple of weeks, but they limited the Holy One of Israel, verse 42. They did not so here's how you limit God. They did not remember His power the day when He redeemed them from the enemy. And I, I, uh, I think it's the next, next one we're going to go to here in Hebrews three. Go to Hebrews 3:8. So you limit God when you don't remember His power. From the last time he delivered you. In other words, unthankfulness creeps in. So it's talked about with the Hebrews that they had an unthankful heart. Their hearts had gotten to a place of unthankfulness. They wanted to go back into bondage. They wanted to go back to eating what they had. They wanted to go back to making bricks without straw because they thought that was better. They forgot where they were. And then they didn't acknowledge all the things that he did for them along the way. If you slide into unthankfulness and you start forgetting, I'm telling you, when you're sitting there and you're having a pity party, you have forgotten what God has done for you your entire life. Start reminding yourself. Develop thankfulness. It's your heart, it's your mind, it's your life. You're not a victim. You're the leading role. It's your choice, amen? So Hebrews 3... And starting in verse 8, this is talking about the experience of the Israelites. So he says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. We're talking about the Israelites here. When they tempted and tested. See, it's interesting that the word trial here, in the old it's the word tempted, in the new, it's the word trial. And trial and tempted are actually interchangeable under the new, and they have the same root words. So trials are temptations, and temptations are trials. There's a little bit of a a different application, but I'm going to go into that in the upcoming weeks too. So next verse. Where your fathers tested me or tempted me, test, tempt, same thing, same word, and tried me. And saw my works for years. Now, it's interesting that anywhere you see a trial, there's temptation. There's never trials separate from temptation to begin with. That'll be important later, but, you know, sorry to add all these. (laughs) Let's keep you coming back, right? Verse 10. Therefore, I was angry with that generation. Now, you have to remember, God promised in Isaiah 53 and 54 that after the, the sacrifice of the Messiah was executed and finished, that God promised he would no longer be angry with us and no longer rebuke us. Now, he was speaking to the Israelites, but we are the children of God. We are the children of Abraham by faith. So ultimately, you can take that Isaiah promise for yourself because you are the family of God, okay? Are you following me there? So to see this, to God say, I was angry with that generation, that's no longer how God functions toward, this, toward people because his anger and wrath was exhausted in Jesus. And said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Verse 11. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That will never happen to you. There will never be a time that God is angry with you and keep you from entering into his blessing because of his anger towards you. Amen? Because Jesus satisfied the wrath of God. He was the propitiation for the sin of the world. I mean, I know when you make big statements like that, people get nervous. They start thinking that you're saying, well, God's not going to judge in the future. There obviously is that. There obviously is the last day judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. But that's not where you go and pay for your sin. That's where you go and the, the, the measuring rod that God uses against you in that last day, in that final judgment, is not looking for sin to judge you for sin. It's looking for righteousness. If you have the Christ in you as your righteousness, enter into your eternal reward. If you do not have the Christ in you as your righteousness, you enter into death, the second death. That's the difference. God's not weighing your sin and your actions. Now there is a judgment of your behavior or your actions uh, for a reward system. And those things we don't really fully understand. It does say that we will suffer loss in that day, but we ourselves will be saved. When you get to heaven, your works will be judged, but not for your righteousness and acceptance into heaven for reward. And if there are things still lingering and hanging on to you, the specifically things that where we think this is our righteousness or we don't really know the wood hay, what the wood, hay, and the stubble are, maybe it is sin that you've still carried around but it's burned off, and you experience a suffering, it says, but you yourself are saved. So the final judgment is not to decide whether or not you get into heaven based on your works. It's whether or not you get into heaven based on did you say yes to Jesus or not. Amen? Amen. And, I mean, it's good news. So um, where, where were we in, in Hebrews 3? So we see, let's, did we go all the way? Yeah. So you're not experiencing God withholding blessing because he's angry. So what I'm trying to do here is I want to kind of, again, this is a big turning of how we see God to we know that if God has his unhindered influence over us in this planet, it's heaven on earth and it's perfection, right? We know that he's given mankind dominion over this planet and we see that what the Israelites allowed themselves to experience was dependent on where they were in their hearts with God. You see that? They limited God because they became unthankful. And and in another place, it says that they didn't mix faith with the promise in their heart. If they had done that, they could have entered in and received. That is true for us. It is true for you that... You don't experience the blessing of God now when faith is not mixed in your heart and there's a deep settling and a confidence toward him. But because you are under the new covenant in Jesus, you don't get the punishment that they did and you don't get the anger that they did. In other words, when you don't mix faith in your heart and you don't receive the best that God has for you or whatever it is that he wants for your life, he's not angry with you. He's not withholding it from you. He's not causing you to not enter into that rest. That's that's a total different covenant. He's not interacting with mankind that way any longer. Amen? I mean, praise God. Did he change? No. People People get nervous when you talk about these kinds of, well, God doesn't change. Well, of course he doesn't. But there's a better covenant based on better promises that we are in now. I mean, I get passionate about this because I see the damage that happens, right? So this is kind of the, you know, 35,000 view, 35,000 foot view that we're just looking at this and now we're going to fly in over the next couple of weeks and, and deal with some specific issues. Things like, is God setting presidents in office? You know, is God allowing sickness? You know, is, you know, all the things that we wonder about, all the stuff that happens in your life, and you're like, well, I wonder what God's doing. You know, I want us to kind of pop back up to the overview and realize, okay, God wants perfection for my life, because every area that we see, when God has total control, it's perfect for humans. Ultimately, I have to decide in my heart, that's what God wants for me, not so that I can drive my Bugatti up a street of gold into a 10,000-square-foot mansion with a lake in the back. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, you know, it's not, it's not for carnal gain. It's just that so this earth and your life would look like what God wants it to look like. And I pretty much think it's safe to say that God wants it to be Perfect. All right, so then you come down and you start dealing with things like healing and loss and all of that stuff, but we have to have our head in the clouds, so to speak, right, anchored in the overview of this is ultimately what God's will looks like. So again, a lot of this stuff is open for discussion. A lot of this stuff can be argued and debated and doctrinal margins drawn and all that stuff, and I'm not really interested in going into that. I just want to collectively get us to a place where we realize, okay, God is good. And when God has his way, things are good. And what I want in my life is what God wants in my life. And I'm going to pray accordingly, specifically based on what Jesus revealed to us about the Father. Amen? Simple start, and we'll go from there. Sound good? Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you that we have peace with you through Jesus. God, thank you that just standing and acknowledging you and breathing reflects your glory because we are your creation. We are built and designed to walk this earth, reaping the fruit of your goodness, experiencing what you want us to have, and we believe that it's good. Father, help us to keep our minds and our hearts set on your good plans for us the quality of life that you want us to have, just as Jesus prayed, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And help us keep that simple reminder as difficulty happens around us and in our own lives. We give you all praise and glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.